So we are preaching through the book of Exodus, and we're about halfway through the the ten plagues. And this is kind of a tough section to be working our way through. It's hard to read over and over about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Whew, that kind of weighs on us. It's hard to read about God bringing boils upon people and killing livestock and all the devastation that God's bringing about through these various plagues. So this is a tough section of Scripture to be working through. But let me remind you of some crucial truths that I think will help. I find them helpful for me. First of all, all these Egyptians and every one of us, every human being, we have all knowingly and persistently turned away from God in rebellion against God, sinning against him. We've all done that. And so we all, I mean, we need to have this in our minds clearly, we all deserve instant death from God. So he said to Adam and Eve, sin and you will die. We all deserve instant death from God and eternal punishment. And so there's no innocent people. We need to understand that. We are all guilty before God, and so God never harms or kills an innocent person, except for his son, right? But God never harms an innocent person, speaking of the Egyptians and all the rest of us. So that's one crucial truth to have in mind as we see what's taking place with these plagues. A second truth is about Pharaoh. We need to keep in mind that that Pharaoh, just like all of us, has willingly turned away from God, turned his back on God, rebelled against God into sin. And so when God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh is not saying, no, God, please, I want to have a soft heart. I want to know you. Help me. That's not what Pharaoh is saying. Pharaoh is definitely and deliberately hardening his own heart, even while God is the ultimate cause behind that hardening of his heart. Not easy to put all those together, but but keep the big picture in mind. And then third, I shared this a few weeks ago. Remember, in Isaiah chapter 19, God says that many Egyptians are going to turn to the Lord, are going to be forgiven and loved and redeemed through Jesus Christ. Many Egyptians are going to be forgiven, loved, and saved through Christ. So so keep those truths in mind as we're, we're working our way through this tough sledding section about these plagues. Now, here's the question I want us to focus on this morning. Why did God bring these plagues upon Egypt? What's God's purpose for doing this? And we could think the answer is easy, right? It's to set Israel free. That's why he did it, and and that is part of the answer, but it's not the whole answer, and it's not the, the ultimate answer. This morning, we want to take a look at a theme that is described throughout these plagues. There's 10 of them, and we see something that's repeated again and again and again, which focuses on the ultimate reason why God brings these plagues upon Egypt. So that's our question for this morning. Why does God bring these plagues upon Egypt. Let's start with verses we've already covered. There's three places this theme shows up in verses we've already looked at, and then we'll look at 
today's passage. Start with Exodus chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. Here God is talking to Moses before God brings plagues upon Egypt. And look at what he says, verse 2. Exodus 7, verse 2. You, Moses, shall speak all that I command you, God says. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So God will use these plagues to free the people of Israel from Egypt. But the reason God does that, the reason he brings plagues and frees his people from Egypt, is so that the Egyptians will know that God is the Lord. Because God is doing all of this so that there will be a display of who God is. So the Egyptians will say, God, the God of Israel, is the true God. He is the Lord. That's God's ultimate purpose. Now we see this again in chapter 8. So God has just filled the land with frogs. This is the second plague. So just picture it. Frogs, frogs, frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh asks Moses to plead with God to take the frogs away. Look at what Moses says in answer to Pharaoh in verse 9. So Pharaoh said, plead with God to take them away. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he, Pharaoh, said, Tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So there's this theme. God's going to answer Moses' prayer and remove all the frogs at exactly the time that Pharaoh requested. So Pharaoh will know, God, the God of Israel, he is the Lord. Moses asks him, and at exactly the time that Moses requests, Boom, the plague is gone. All the frogs, dead, gone. So that's God's purpose for bringing these plagues. So that Pharaoh, so that the Egyptians will know that God is the Lord. Look also at Exodus 8 verse 22. This is what God says to Pharaoh about the swarms of flies that are covering Egypt. This is the fourth plague. Okay, Exodus 8.22. But on that day, God says to Pharaoh, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So God's going to bring swarms of flies everywhere except Goshen. No flies there. How does that happen? God. God does that. And God does that so that Pharaoh will know there is no one like the Lord, their God. Egyptian gods, pff, nothing. They don't do anything. 
God does things like this. So you see the theme. God is bringing these plagues to deliver Israel, yes, but plagues and the deliverance to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians that Israel's God is the true God of heaven and earth. He is the only God. Now that brings us to this morning's passage. That's a little review just to trace that theme. Now I want us to look at plagues 5 through 9. We'll look at number 10 next week, but in 5 through 9 to see how the theme is repeated. So Exodus 9, 1 through 7, the plague of sickness on the livestock. This is the fifth plague. Exodus 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Amazing. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Now later, we will see that some of Egypt's livestock are still alive. And I dug a little deeper into that, and the Hebrew word all could mean all like every single one of the livestock, or it could mean all in the sense of every kind. All those kinds of livestock died amongst the Egyptians. I think that's what's going on here. Then verse 7, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. Can you imagine? Pharaoh saying, go, check out, see if any of the Israelites' livestock have died. Comes back, Pharaoh, none of them have died. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So this is a terrible plague upon Egypt. Didn't tell us anything about our theme, but keep just the feel of that plague in mind. And then the sixth plague next is the boils. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take, a, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln, stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw all of this. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians, remember the magicians from last week? Could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So another Horrible plague, boils on people and on animals. Now, again, nothing in that section, though, about this question of 
Why is God bringing all these plagues? But that changes in verse 13 in the next section. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Just think about it. Who is like this God that we're seeing described here? A God who promised Abraham about this great nation who'd end up in the promised land, who's now fulfilling his promises so faithfully. Who's a God like this God who, when the people of Israel cry out in the midst of their oppressive slavery, God hears and God acts and raises up Moses and Aaron. Who is like this God with power and authority and sovereignty over everything so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. No one is like God. That's the message here. Verse 15, for by now I could have put out my hands and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. I could have destroyed all of you instantly. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So God raises up Pharaoh, raises up the Egyptians to to display his power, his faithfulness to Abraham, his compassion to the people of Israel, his authority, his sovereignty, his sheer reality, so that who God is would be proclaimed, spoken, shouted, shared with everybody throughout the whole earth. That's God's purpose here. That's the theme that's going through this whole section. Keep reading, verse 17. You, Pharaoh, are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall. This is the seventh plague. Such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, now look at the mercy here. Send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, there were some believers there, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, lightning, ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. 
Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. There it is again. There's the theme. So that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So God commands hail. It hails. God says, stop. It stops. Which shows that the earth belongs to the Lord. The weather belongs to the Lord. The Nile River belongs to the Lord. Gnats and flies belong to the Lord. The whole world belongs to the Lord. Everyone's going to see the whole earth is the Lord's. That's this display here of God's glory. Verse 30. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. For the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. Can you imagine seeing that? But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The next plague, number eight, is the locusts. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs among them. There's the theme. I'm doing this to show these signs among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you, plural, you all may know that I am the Lord. So here's a different way of saying the same theme, same theme, different words. God is bringing these plagues upon Egypt. He's delivering Egypt so that in generations to come, Israelite parents can talk to their children and their grandchildren. Let me tell you, we were slaves in the land of Egypt. We had to work. We were beaten if we didn't produce a certain number of bricks. It was a horrifying situation. We cried out to, to God, Yahweh, God, and God listened. And oh, did he work. He turned the whole river into blood. He brought hail, and then he stopped it when Moses prayed. And kids' eyes are just wide open. Just God delivered us. That's why we're here now in the promised land. And 
kids would have been strengthened and would have come to know God and would have been saved. You're hearing about God's beautiful glory and mercy and majesty and justice and sovereignty and authority and power. That's one of the reasons that God gave these signs and delivered Israel is so that this could be proclaimed to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to all the world, and to Israelite children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Keep reading. Verse 3. Eighth plague, the locusts. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, to Pharaoh, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Pharaoh, please, what are you doing? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones of you are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. We're all going, Pharaoh. We're all going. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Now that's a puzzling statement. So here's my best guess as to what he's saying. He's saying, The Lord really will be with you if I ever let you go on that basis then God's really been with you, being sarcastic, right? If I let you go, let you all go, God's really with you. Ha, fat chance. Then he says, end of verse 10, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, just the men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained. 
neither tree nor plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he, Moses, went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind, the east wind, into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. So these locusts caused terrible damage. Do you see how Egypt is being ruined? Plague after plague after plague. But after the locusts, there was terrible pitch darkness. This is the ninth plague. Verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. I have no idea how this happened. God does. He's God. He did it. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also or also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Whoa. So there's the plagues, except for the number 10, which we'll look at next, next week. And we're asking now, why? Why all these plagues upon Egypt? See, it's not just because God wanted to deliver Israel from Egypt. If that's what it was, God could have simply softened Pharaoh's heart at the very beginning of all this, and Pharaoh would have just said, you want to leave? All right, goodbye, thank you. Bye-bye. Simple. If that was God's purpose, lots easier ways to do it than all of this. But instead, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was deliberately hardening his own heart, absolutely, but behind that, God was the ultimate cause there. God, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and God brought plague after plague after plague and miracle after miracle after miracle so that everyone could see God's incomparable glory, majesty, power. This is God. 
at work, publicly, to be proclaimed in all the worlds. That was God's purpose. He delivered Israel, brought great signs and wonders and plagues so that he could display his glory. That was God's purpose in doing this. And throughout Scripture, you see this again and again and again, that God's purpose for everything he does is to display his glory. Why does he forgive sins? 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He forgives, forgives our sins through Jesus for his name's sake, to display his glorious mercy. Why does he, Psalm 23, lead us in paths of righteousness? It's for his name's sake, to display his glory all through the scriptures. Why does God save us? Ephesians chapter 1. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. From Genesis to Revelation, the, the purpose of God through it all is to display his glory. That's his purpose. Let me ask one last question then. Why is that his purpose? Why is God's purpose to display his glory? There's lots of reasons, but let me just give you three of them that I find especially helpful and encouraging and strengthening. Why is God's passion to display his glory? One reason is because he is God. Here's what I mean. We might struggle with the idea of God being passionate to display his glory. That he, Here's my glory. Look at my glory. Look at my glory. It's like, uh, that's not right for anybody to do. We're not supposed to display our glory. Like I walk into a room, look at how glorious I am, everybody. Ah, that's wrong, right? So, so why, is it, why does God do that? Well, there's a big difference between God and us, okay? If you think about it, all the glory in the universe, in the world, in the universe, all the glory belongs to God alone. God has all the glory. I mean, you might have some skill or some ability, but even that was a gift to you from whom? God. And if, if God gave that to you, you didn't earn that, you didn't deserve that, if God gave that to you, who should get the glory for that? God. So all the glory that's in the world is God's. Glory should only go to him. No glory should go to any of us. All the glory should go to God alone. All the glory belongs to God. God is the highest value in the universe. So it's right for him to display his glory. And it's wrong for us because we have none. He has it all. It's right for him to do. I mean, what, what higher purpose could God pursue? So that's the first reason God is passionate to display his glory. It's because he is infinitely glorious. All the glory that's in the universe belongs to him. Second reason. It's because this saves the lost and it strengthens our faith when God displays his glory. See, we are saved when we open up the Old Testament and we read about God's 
mercy in delivering Israel, his faithfulness in keeping the, his promises to Abraham, his power and authority and sovereignty in bringing these plagues, and all the rest of the Old Testament history, that saves people. We're saved especially when we see God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is there. No one would get saved if God didn't display his glory. Let that just rest upon you. No one would be saved if God didn't display his glory. And it's also by displaying God's glory that he strengthens our faith. We see the Old Testament. We see Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament. If God didn't display his glory, our faith would be weak at best. It probably wouldn't even exist. So it's out of God's compassion that God displays his glory. Displaying his glory is part of his love. It's part of his mercy. So the first reason is because he is God, all glorious God. The second reason is because this saves the lost and strengthens our faith. And here's a third reason. It's because this is our greatest joy. God's glory is our greatest joy. God has wired us. He's made us in such a way that our greatest joys are found in beholding majesty and beauty and glory. That's what glory really is. That's why people travel long distances to go see the Swiss Alps or to go see Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or to see the Great Barrier Reef in Australia because we're seeing beauty, we're seeing glory, and it does bring us pleasure and joy. But God, in the perfections of his being, is the greatest majesty, beauty, and glory. And so God is therefore our infinitely greatest joy. I mean, nothing else comes close to comparing. But now think about that then. How loving would God be? Here's God just shining with glory, infinite glory. But he kept these curtains in front of him so no one could see his glory. Think about that. He would not be loving at all because we could never have the greatest joy, which is in beholding his glory. So what does God do? In great love, he pulls back the curtains. Pulls back the curtains. Unleashes the plagues upon Egypt. Delivers Israel. Shows his faithfulness to Moses. And supremely in bringing Jesus Christ, his son, to the earth. To show us his love, his grace, his mercy, the cross, the resurrection. God is passionate to show us his glory because our glory, because his glory is our greatest joy. So he pulls back the curtains. And that's what he does in plague after plague after plague. And he wants that proclaimed into all the world. So why is God's passion to display his glory? It's because he's God. It's because that's what saves people and strengthens our faith. And because beholding his glory is our greatest joy. So, Grace Church, or visitor who's come just today, see that God has all the glory in the universe. See that. God is towering above everything else, shining with infinite glory, majesty, beauty. That's our God. God has all the glory in the universe. And so therefore, share God's glory with lost people this week. At lunch today. Neighbors, work associates, tell people about God's display of his glory. Egypt, 
the coming of Jesus, and then strengthen your faith by beholding God's glory. When your faith is weak, open up the scriptures, see God's glory displayed. He will strengthen your faith through it. And then finally, Grace Church, seek your joy in God's glory. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means is stop sinning. Stop sinning. Every time we sin, we are seeking our joy in some other glory that's not the all-satisfying glory of God. That's what all sin is. Don't waste your time. It will never satisfy you like beholding God's glory in Christ will satisfy you. So seek your joy in God's glory. Let's stand together. I want to pray. We bow before you, glorious God, God of infinite glory. Thank you that you pulled back the curtain on your glory. All through the Old Testament and supremely in the coming of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to see that you have displayed your glory so people could be saved and our faith could be strengthened and in your compassion so that we could have the joy we all crave. It's in you. We worship you, all glorious God, in Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.